Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Church, let's put our hands together to celebrate what God is doing in our midst today. Oh, he's worthy of praise. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world. Come on, church, let's clap our hands together to celebrate that truth. And you're not here by accident. Oh, no, you're not. You're not here by happenstance. Oh, no, you're not. Nobody walked into this place today and the Holy Spirit leaned over to Jesus and went, didn't know she was coming. Didn't happen. It is all the events of your life have led you to this one divine shining moment. Hope Church, happy birthday to you. Not old enough to drive. However, you're changing the world. And since it is your birthday, allow me to bring just a walk-in Hallmark card for just a moment. You are the greatest church I've ever had the privilege of preaching to, being with. I've traveled for almost 13 years and I, as an itinerant evangelist, which means I'm gone about 200 days a year. I meet a lot of churches. But there's never been a church that my wife and I have been a part of that's had such a profound impact and when Brother Vance, Pastor Vance, was talking about be thankful, there was a moment where I go back to being here a couple years ago, and God gave me a glimpse of what church is to look like. There is no such thing as a perfect church, but the principles of how this church leads out are so transferable. Now, we can't take what's happened in Vegas and transplant that in Nashville, Tennessee. However, what we can do is allow the very principle and premise of why this church exists, which we just sung, that Jesus, you just be high and lifted up and you draw people unto yourself. And what I love about this church is not only the fact that you are honestly a bag of Skittles, that, that, that would be a, a complimentary term in regards to some flavor. There's a lot of flavor in this house. Are y'all with me? Come on, let me know where you're at. Now, I know I look like I'm SPF 72, you know what I'm saying? But my life has been upgraded. I have a wife who's here with me. We've been married 17 years. She's half Filipino. I call her my brown sugar. Amen. We have a teenager in the house. She's 12, and her name's London. She's got red hair, got a daughter named Lola. She's in the fifth grade. She's dark skin, brown eyes, black hair like mama. And then we have a blonde hair, blue-eyed little girl who's nine, and then we adopted a little boy from Africa several years ago, and so I call him my sugar bear. Let, let, me, let me just kind of lean in on a conversation. A couple of months ago, my son Lawson looked at me. He's from Ethiopia. He said, Daddy, we don't look alike. Now, we get stared at everywhere we go. 
I said, son, can I just be honest with you? I wish I looked more like you. I wouldn't have to put on the SPF 72 when I go to mow the grass for 30 minutes. I said, but son, can I just identify something real quickly? I got fingers, you got fingers. I got toes, you got toes. I got a nose, you got a nose. You got hair, I got hair. We got a whole lot more in common than we do that's different. There's only one race. It's the human race. Are y'all with me? And that's what I love about your church. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group surrounded upon the one who's worthy. Such an honor to be here. Not only are you a great church, but you're led by a great staff, phenomenal staff. And I want to just make this statement. It's not cheap. It's not trite. I'm not, I'm not just saying this to say this. Pastor Vance is one of the greatest leaders in our Southern Baptist Convention in regards to just North America, church planting, leadership, preaching, bar none. He's in a category all by himself. And it is an honor to stand behind this sacred desk. Pastor, thank you so much. We know your life has been upgraded by the first lady who's sitting next to you. And I hope they call you that, to be honest with you, the first lady. But it's such an honor to be here today. I want to share a message, a bold message, out of Matthew chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, let's go ahead and meet together, Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, for those of you that have not grown up in church, I didn't either. I needed preacher guys to explain this to me. John the Baptist was strategically used by the God of this universe. Why? Because the Bible, that is 66 individual books, by the way, time span over 1,500 years, Three different continents, Europe, Africa, Asia. Three different languages the Bible is comprised of, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. They never contradicted each other. That is 40 different authors, never contradicted each other. Of the 62 books in the Bible, it speaks to prophecy, things that were not yet fulfilled. Only four books of the Bible didn't speak to prophecy. However, there has been tremendous fulfillment over and over and over again. And John the Baptist was the one that would transition the Old Testament into the New Testament in regards to his message. Now, being a city of lights in regards to Las Vegas, you get this. It's about the lights that shine the brightest. John the Baptist takes the spotlight off himself and begins to redirect that to the one who had been spoken of in prophecy. His message to be honest with you, a little bit salty in regards to the people that heard it. It would have been considered politically incorrect to say a message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, turn from whatever you're trusting in, and now look at the one I'm pointing at. And he was a billboard. That is, he was a marketing marquee in regards to it's all about Jesus. And there in this moment, he has a conversation, a very privy conversation that we get to lean into between the religious leaders of the day known as the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed in the the totality of the Old Testament. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, but only believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the first five books of the Bible. However, both groups, that is the Pharisees and Sadducees, which, to be honest, were at enmity between each other, Now come out to a baptism by John the Baptist, which, by the way, he's out in the wilderness. He has resided there for over 30 years. He wears a garment of camel's hair, which, by the way, was not shopping at the trendiest places. It's a message of repentance. It's a message of prophetic utterance. And there he eats grasshoppers and wild honey. 
But yet there's this attractional element to what he has to say because he begins to speak to the core issue in a very bold way. And as we have this bold theme today, there's no bolder message outside of the message that Jesus would speak of that I could draw our attention to except for Matthew chapter 3. And if you're with me this morning, say amen. Beginning in verse number 7, the Bible says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. He's looking at a group of religious people, and here's the bold statement, repent from religion. But we cannot misunderstand what he's saying. He's not saying trust in baptism. See, baptism is not cleansing for sin. Baptism is confession for salvation. There's nothing miraculous about the baptistry tank that you saw on the highlight reel celebrating your birthday party. It's the understanding that I have been identified with Christ. Romans chapter 6 speaks of being buried in his likeness, raised to walk in newness of life. And what John the Baptist speaks to is stop trusting in your religion. Trust in Jesus. But they want to get baptized. See, baptism's identifying with Jesus. Better yet, Jesus identifying with us. August 1st, 1998, I was married to Stephanie. It was there in that moment as she began to walk down the aisle, I literally began to boo-hoo snot slobber in that moment. The preacher looked at me and he said, dude, are you okay? I said, long story. When he was signing that marriage certificate, he said, what's your long story? I said, sir, she waited her whole life for me. And I bear the scars of stupidity and choices of not preserving purity. I said, sir, the reason why I'm overwhelmed with emotion is I have no problem putting on a wedding band saying I'm with her. I'm just wondering why she's willing to put on a wedding band and say she's with me. Can I tell you something? When you and I identify with Jesus, it's going, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. And it's not just you identifying with him. It's better than that. It's him identifying with you. He's not ashamed of you. And John the Baptist begins to direct their attention to stop trusting in your religion. Why? Because religion is a man-made effort to appease a holy God, which is impossible. Psalm 5.4 says God cannot look upon evil. Revelation 21, 26, and 27 says nothing unclean gets into heaven. But I realize the rationale of most people is I'm a good person. I don't negate that. But understand, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You go, Ed, what, what does that mean? Well, see, Romans 3.10 says none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, falls short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59.2 says, our sins have separated us from God. Isaiah 64.6 says, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Which means that if we live by a scale system, which is the analogy that most people use, the good outweighs the bad, understand something, because there's bad on the scale, you and I are all disqualified from heaven. James 2.10 teaches if we break one commandment, we've broken them all. So just for some audience participation, so I don't feel like I'm the only sinner in the room. How many of you, if we were to just take the Ten Commandments and go, one of those says, thou shalt not lie. How many of you would just be honest and go, guilty? Are you with me? Which, as you put your hands down, if we broke one commandment, we've broken them all. Therefore, we're in need of grace. That is for someone to pay a debt that you and I cannot pay. Your religion will not pay for your debt. Our sin is too costly. Why? The wages of sin is death. 
We deserve to die. Galatians 3.13 says he redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? It demands perfection. That is, you and I, as we look at the Bible, I don't obey the Bible to earn my salvation. It's because I have salvation I want to obey the Bible. And as you and I think about the debt that we could not pay, it's grace that paid it in full. I was at a McDonald's in Muscle Shoals area where Pastor Vance's family's from. I'll never forget we were there when the time changed. And so because we got little ones at that moment, we were up early. So we go to the McDonald's. My kids have already gotten the napkins and the ketchup packets and the straws. And they are beating on the table, pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. I turn from the cash register to begin to, this is a good southern word, hush my children. But I look back and my wife is leading the choir. So with a smile on my face, I proceeded to order $26 and some change. And all of a sudden, I get my credit card out and begin to swipe that so glorious, convenient contraption known as the credit card machine in front of the register. And as I'm swiping at the sweet young college-age lady behind the counter goes, Sir, it's cash only this morning. Credit card machine's not been working. All of a sudden, in the background, I could hear these words, pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. Now, my mom and dad are both deaf. I'm fluent in sign language, so this will be quite impressive to you. I turn back to my wife, and I make the sign for cash. Are you not impressed? And she leans back into the conversation and does this right here, which is no. But as I'm turning back to the cash register to let the lady know that I don't have cash and I'm in trouble, I'm now confronted by a moment where Honestly, I don't know what to do with this. There's a man dressed all in leather, leather pants, leather vest, leather jacket, leather hat, all the patches on his jacket, very clear indicator, part of a motorcycle gang. He is standing dangerously too close to me, and there's that thought of, did I do something wrong? And in my social awkwardness, I look at him and go, hey, he says nothing. I'm so intimidated. He's in my dollar menu. Are you with me this morning? Like, he's in my dollar menu. And all of a sudden, I go, ma'am, I I don't know what to do right now as pancakes begin to stack up and everything that we ordered had already been placed on the tray. And all of a sudden, mystery man next to me reaches in his back pocket. I know this is going to be shocking to you, but he reaches in and pulls out a leather wallet. And as he pulls out that leather wallet, he lays down a 20 and a 5 and several 1s and walks to the door. And I'm literally, like, my jaw is in the hash browns. Like, I don't know what to do at this moment. He gets to the door, and he turns around, and he looks at me, and he speaks, and he says one word. Don't miss this. He looks at me as I'm in awe of what's happening. One word. Grace. And rolled out. Unbelievable. Now, the moral of that story is not for you to show up at McDonald's hoping some dude in leather is going to pay for your breakfast. That's not the moral of the story. But I want to share something with you that I think is significant for you to hear. I owed a debt I could not pay, but grace paid it in full. What's grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Religion will not save you. That's what John the Baptist is speaking to. Repent, turn from your religion trust in Jesus. Notice verse number 9. It says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now that sounds ambiguous. Like what are you talking about? Because the father of the faith of Judaism and Islam and Christianity 
Abraham. If we're to trace that family tree, it goes back to the father of faith. Now, you could read this on your own in John chapter 8. The accusers of Jesus would say to him, are you telling us that you're greater than Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. And Jesus makes this statement, Abraham longed to see my day. So when the Bible teaches in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, that Abraham received righteousness, it's not because of anything that he did. It's the faith that he had, faith in looking forward that there would be one that would provide salvation for all. And so as Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day. We understand he would couch that statement with, I am. Jesus transcends the New Testament into the Old Testament and eradicates the difference and allows us to understand it's God in the flesh. It's John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not just bound by the New Testament. He's all over the Old Testament. And these heroes of the faith that you'll read about in the Old Testament, we're looking forward. We as New Testament believers look backwards. But the centerpiece is the cross, not a family tree. See, I was in Israel several years ago. and On my day off, I went into a bookstore and just felt so compelled to share Jesus with the owner. Could not use the New Testament. He did not believe in the New Testament. And so I had to reason from Isaiah 53 that as Jesus was wounded for our transgression. Bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. There in that moment, I was interrupted. The owner said, son, don't worry about me being in heaven. I'll be there. I said, sir, by what authority do you make that statement? He goes, because I'm Jewish. I said, sir, help me understand this. He goes, my great, 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 great ancestor is Abraham. Where was his assurance of salvation? Founded in a family tree. Oh, it's not about a family tree, but it is about a tree. It's called the tree of Calvary. Where every tribe and every people group are allowed to be a part of the family of God. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one way. It's not salvation for the Jews based upon Abraham. Salvation is in faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. I'll never forget I read this story about a grandmother that comes out of a grocery store in California. She gets to her car, and she notices individuals inside of her car. She's got a pocketbook, several grocery bags. She's not overwhelmed by the moment. Honestly, she unzips her pocketbook, pulls out a semi-automatic handgun. Now, let me just pause for a brief moment. That's my kind of grandmother right there. Now, many of you have seen these films in regards to Medea. Medea would be that sassy grandmother that nobody ever wants to cross. And so as I began to read this article, I just used some sanctified imagination and thought, oh, those fellows mess with the wrong woman. And in my own sanctified imagination, I'm envisioning that grandma's not holding that gun with fear and trepidation, but instead that grandmother's holding that gun gangster style like, don't make me. Don't make me. This won't be the first time I've used this kind of statement. They flee the scene. Grandmother handled business. She puts the grocery bags in the back seat. She begins to sit down in the driver's seat. She gets her car keys out. Now pay attention, Hope Church. She gets the car keys out and gets the ignition key and tries to put the ignition key into the ignition slot, and it does not fit. Now let me just pause for dramatic fashion. 
just to get everybody in the house on the same page. Because you're hearing some remarks, some audible remarks of, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, no. It can't be. Just to get us all on the same page, let me just clarify. Grandma's in the wrong car. Grandma, instead of being hijacked, just hijacked someone else's car. But by that time, she had realized it was too late. Police had already been knocking on the window. And when the grandmother stepped out of the vehicle, here was the statement from the police officer. By any chance, are you the crazy grandma on the loose in this parking lot? Her response, my car is four spaces down. Now, can I say this to you? When you get to that age, you don't need a filter. You don't need a muffler. You could just say senior moment, and everybody's like, well, that's cool. We'll just work past it, right? But here's what I'm going to say to you. In a moment of no filter, in a moment of like, I'm not trying to be politically correct, listen to me. There's only one key that unlocks the hope of salvation. There's not many vehicles. There's one vehicle. It's not many roads. There's one road. And that key is faith. And repentance. Repentance is I'm turning from, trusting in. Faith in what? That you are mighty to save. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist begins to lean in, press in even further. Not only is he saying, repent from your religion. He's saying, don't rest in your relationships. But now he begins to speak to the fact of recognize readiness. That you and I would see this in verse 10. The Bible says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, what is he saying? Now's the time of decision. You and I are not promised tomorrow. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man to die once, then face the judgment. James 4 teaches that life is like a vapor here for a moment. You and I do not know what tomorrow holds, but the difference between knowing what tomorrow holds is knowing the one who holds tomorrow. I think about a dad that loses his wife and children tragically in an automobile accident. No father ever wants to receive this news. But the local church, much like this church, began to pour out ministry to this dad. He was the dad that never went to church with his wife and children. Thanks, but no thanks was the message. As so many from that church began to demonstrate benevolent ministry to him, he would answer the door, I want nothing to do with this Jesus. But they continued to sow a seed into his heart that Jesus is enough. The way that he decompressed, the way that he found therapy, the way that he recalibrated his life was to go to the local aquatic center. And he'd swim laps in the morning. That was his way to detach from reality. One particular morning, he comes into the aquatic center and the lights are off. He flicks the switch. He's usually the first one there. doesn't work. He stands up on the diving board. It's a full moon that morning. There's a window behind him. He looks at his watch and says, I can swim these laps in the dark. I got to shower, get to work, but I need this workout. As he stood on the edge of the diving board, making that diving formation, both arms extended, the silhouette of his own body with a cross began to cast a shadow on the wall on the other end of the pool, based upon the full moon and the window behind him. It was there in that moment that everything began to connect That Jesus loved me, Jesus died for me, and my soul could be saved if I put my faith and trust in him. He bows his knee on the edge of a diving board, gives his life to Jesus Christ, which allows me to say this in a parenthetical statement. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, whether you're in a church or on a diving board, God's ready to step out of heaven into your heart. 
And there at that moment, he gives his life to Jesus. As he's standing up, a new follower of Jesus Christ, he thinks that Jesus is talking to him, but it's not Jesus. It's the custodian apologizing for a fuse that's been blown in the breaker. And then as the switch is cut on, lights illuminating the pool, both of them speechless. Why? No water in the pool. You and I stand on the edge of eternity every single day. Can I just say it this, this way? I'm not here to freak you out. I'm not trying to talk you into something that someone else could talk you out of. I just need you to know that you're not promised tomorrow, and the greatest lie of the enemy is not disregard the message of Jesus, but instead is do that tomorrow. And here's what happens. Tomorrow never comes. The only moment you've been promised is this moment right here. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus? You go, and I believe in Jesus, and to that I applaud you. So do the demons. All of hell knows who Jesus is. Therefore, they don't follow. It's more than intellectual head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. And I believe this leads us to verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he'll burn with unquenchable fire. Now, what is John the Baptist speaking to? He's speaking of the reality of hell. Now, understand something. Hell is a real place. Hell is filled with real people. Hell is really permanent. Hell has real punishment. But all could be avoided by a real promise in Jesus Christ. I, I find no joy in speaking of hell. I find no satisfaction this morning in speaking a message of judgment. But I don't work for anybody else except for God's postal service. And I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. Therefore, in order for me to be the man that God has called me to be as the proclaimer that God has called me to be, I'm here to tell you that hell is not a figment of your imagination. Hell is a real place but could be avoided by a real promise in Jesus Christ. I meet people all the time that say, Ed, if God is such a loving God, why does he send people to hell? And my immediate knee-jerk reaction to that is this. God doesn't send us to hell. We choose to go to hell. Not only that, but here's the reality, God in his holiness is not impressed by our religious works or deeds or efforts, but instead of sending, which by the way, can I just say this as a footnote, God could send all of us to hell and be perfectly right in doing so. Why? He's holy, we're not. No one could shake their fist at God and go, you're not fair. We're condemned by our own sin. And as we understand that, Here's what we have to realize. It's, yes, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. But verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. You know why? Our sin condemns us already. But instead, he came to liberate us, set us free to pay the sin debt for us. And he absorbs the wrath of God. That is, Jesus Christ could have called legions of angels to rescue him. But he stayed on that cross because of love. And there in that moment, when he said these words, it is finished. Our sin debt paid in full, past, present, future. And whosoever calls on that name 
shall be saved. Not if, not but, not maybe. Shall be saved. Saved from what? From our sin. What is our identity apart from the grace and mercy of God? We're enemies of God. But when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, we become the family of God, sons and daughters of God, where neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future could ever separate us from the love of God. His love is fixed on you as sons and daughters of God. Not only does he save us from our sin, but he saves us from ourselves. Maybe I'm the only dude in the house that's going to be this honest. But I'm one step away from stupid every day of my life. And he saves me from myself. The Holy Spirit within me guides me and leads me and directs me. It's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't come into this world to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many so that you and I could have the assurance and the reality and the gravity of the fact that heaven is our home, not because of the fact that we're good, but because he's better. He's better. And as we understand that truth, let me just close with this illustration. I was on my way home from Bentonville, Arkansas to Orlando, Florida, where we live. It was 5.30 in the morning. I had to fly from Bentonville, Arkansas, that's Walmart country, by the way, into Atlanta, then Atlanta to Orlando. It's a 6 a.m. flight, Pastor. You're familiar with those. Don't feel really spiritual at 6 a.m. in the morning, just being quite honest and candid. I got a pair of basketball shorts on, tank top, flat built, real low. Backpack, and I sit down in first class, not because I've paid for it, but because I've been upgraded. Gentleman next to me says this to me. He goes, so what do you do for a living? Now, he said it a little bit salty. Are you with me when I say salty? Just a little bit of just a snideness about it. It was that moment of like, you don't deserve to be here. All of a sudden, I said, I'm a minister. Oh, the conversation got awkward. His response, his rebuttal, you ready for this one? He goes, so you believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale? I look at my watch, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm not wanting to have this conversation right now. So I'm a little direct in this moment. I go, yes, I do. He goes, seriously? I go, hey, listen, just being honest. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. He goes, what do you mean by that? I said, well, Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. What was he speaking to? The fact that he would die and be buried in a tomb and come back from the dead. As soon as I said Jesus, he goes, so you're telling me. I go, here we go. He goes, you're telling me. That Jesus is the only way to heaven. I said, sir, you got to understand something. I didn't grow up in church. Both, both my parents are handicapped. I, I didn't have the chance to go to church except for Christmas and Easter because that's the only time they had an interpreter at the church. So I'm not real familiar with this whole churchy language. So let me just say it real direct to you. I said, I'm going to heaven not because of me. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. He goes, so you're telling me that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I said, sir hear me. I'm not trying to be 
derogatory. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm telling you, Jesus found me when I wasn't looking for him. And I'm going to heaven. And I can say that with an assurance, not because of me, but because of him. If it was about me, I could lose this salvation. But it's him who holds me eternally secure in his hands. It was at that moment he said to me, you are so arrogant. I said, sir, arrogant. He continued on. He said, you're intolerant. You're narrow-minded. I said, sir, I I just got to ask you a question. If your life were to come to an end, which, by the way, let me say this in parentheses, probably not the best timing in my response since we're on an airplane, right? If your life were to come to an end, would you be in heaven without a hesitation, without an um, without a pause, came this response. Absolutely. I said, sir, by what confidence do you speak of? And then he said this, I'm a good person. I said, sir, listen, for 15 minutes you've belittled me, you've mocked me, you've made fun of me, and we still got an hour to go on this flight. But let me just say this to you with the deepest measure of love and grace. You told me I was arrogant, but can I tell you who's arrogant? You are. He goes, why would you say such a thing? I said, because you're telling me you're so good that you can impress a holy God. That's arrogant. And let me just make it quite clear. I didn't have the privilege of leading this man to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But you want to talk about bold? I realized in that moment, a message that is saturated in truth is a bold message because it confronts what we have bought into as a society, which teaches there's no absolute truth. And here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm not a real bright dude. My butter slides off my biscuit often. (laughs) Some of you will get that tomorrow. But I will say this. I'm in with anybody that's sinless, dies for me. And comes back from the dead. And my faith and hope is in him. And what we're saying to you today as a church, our posture is not join this perfect crowd. See, godliness, what we're asking you to give your life to, which is a direction in regards to a salvation experience, it's more than a moment, it's a movement. To give your life to Jesus, more than a decision, it's a direction. What we're saying to you is this, godliness is not perfection. I will not be the dude that stands up on stage and goes, give your life to Jesus. Everything works out just fine. There's a lot of those individuals. But my message, your pastor's message, this church's message is this. As you and I give our lives to Jesus, it does not mean that we're exempt from hardship, trial, or tribulation. But we do have this promise. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and he's with us always, even to the end of the world. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of the living God, and family is important to him, that he would so put Jesus forward for you and for me. Now, what we do with Jesus is your own personal decision, but everything in me is imploring you, encouraging you, exhort you with this phrase, come to Jesus. And for those of us in this room that have made that decision, our salvation is not based upon us, it's based upon Him. And for those of you that are hearing this for the very first time, it's that moment where all of a sudden it's like the lights have come on. Reason being because Jesus is the light of the world. And He exposes our own heart. 
But here's what I know to be true. Our God takes broken pieces and makes masterpieces. Our God takes what's vulnerable and makes it valuable. Our God takes the insignificant and makes it indescribable. And when you come to Jesus, understand something. Your past doesn't define you. Your future's been written for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed for just a brief moment. For those of you in this room that feel the tender voice of the Lord speaking to you, come to Jesus. What will you do with that? How will you respond to that? When the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Today you can be saved from your sin forever. Today you can have security of salvation forever. But it's in Jesus and him alone. And if that's your desire today to settle this issue once and for all, just like this was a bold message, you got to make a bold decision. And that bold decision will cost you everything. But for many of us, we've tried everything to find satisfaction in this world, but there's only one that satisfies. He is our supply. He is our song. He is our strength. He is our strong tower. He is the one that gives us victory. His name is Jesus. And if that's your desire today to make that decision, not because of the pressure of this moment, but because you know this is what you need to do, would you be willing to call on his name? To call on his name means to simply admit that you're not perfect. To call on his name is to say, I put my faith and trust in you for salvation. To call on his name is to follow him. It's not perfection. Godliness is not perfection. Godliness is pursuing a perfect Savior. And if that's your heart's desire today, to find salvation from your own self, from sin, from being separated from God, heaven being a reality because of Jesus, would you say this to Jesus quietly in your own heart? I always have to clarify. I'm not a priest. You're not praying this to me. Matter of fact, I had to pray this salvation prayer on my own. And I did as a 15-year-old young man in Orlando, Florida. It's the greatest decision of my life. And today will be the greatest decision of your life. But if that's your desire, your faith is not in a prayer. It's in a person, in Jesus. And if that's what you want to do, would you just say this quietly in your own heart and mean it from the depth of your soul. Just say this to him today. If you desire to become a Christ follower, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just say this to him, the depths of your own heart, the recess of your own heart. Just say this to him. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm not perfect. I believe you died for my sin. And right now, I'm asking you to save me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. It seems like a very simple prayer because it is it's more about your heart than the words and if you made that decision today the Bible teaches in Luke 15 there's a celebration in heaven and oh we want to celebrate that kind of decision I'll do nothing to embarrass you I want to pray for you in just a few moments but in order to identify who you are and the decision that you made if you just gave your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you prayed that prayer in faith. You meant it, not because I talked you into it, but because you know that's a decision that you needed to make. 
Would you raise your hand right where you're seated? If you made that decision, just hold up your hand real tall. Right where you're seated, just hold it up real tall. Real tall. I want you to keep your hand up. Just I want you to feel the P90X burn in your shoulder for just a second. And you're going to hear me count. Here's the reason why, because you're not alone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 17. You are not alone. Come on, church. You can put your hands down for those of you, but the rest of us, we're clapping for you. Now, everybody look this way. Everybody look this way. Everybody look this way. Everybody in the house of God. For the 17 of you and my vision's not the best. But as I began to span this crowd, 17 people in this room going, I did that. And that's significant. All of heaven rejoices. Now, here's what you need to understand. This is more than a decision. This is a direction. What does it mean to be a Christ follower that you live your life for Jesus? He's the boss. He's in control. That's hard for us to sometimes articulate, but it's like, you know what, to be honest with you, I've made a mess of my own life. I can't get eternal life. I give you the keys to my life. You do whatever you want to do. If you can speak the universe into existence and you can come back from the dead, you can be in charge of my life. I'm going to trust you. Seventeen of you made that decision today. And we want to be able to say this to you. Welcome to the family of God. Come on, church. Let's celebrate that. So here's what we need to do. I need everybody to stand up. Everybody in the house of God to stand up today. Oh, you've been a phenomenal crowd. I wish I could take you on buses and go with me everywhere I go. You're unbelievable. But here's what I want to ask. For the 17 of you that raised your hand going, I just gave my life to Jesus. We have on the outside of this facility a tent, two tents, matter of fact, that say next step. We just believe it's really important to make sure you got a Bible, that you get into community. We want to share life with you. But we just need you to know more importantly, you are not alone. Now, everybody look right here. You know how difficult it is in this moment to get 17 people to go, I'm going to go to that tent. I'm going to meet somebody I've never met before in my life. I'm going to get a Bible if I don't have one. I'm going to learn how to connect to this church or another church. To go to that place, I mean, literally, it's about 100 yards. But you know how difficult that walk is? I mean, it's a difficult walk. There's such a temptation to go, you know what, I'll I'll just, I'll catch up with y'all later. But just to make sure that you understand that how big of a deal it is that the 17 of you that made that decision, we just want you to know you won't walk alone, not only in this moment, but in the days to come. So here's what I need to have happen. The 17 of you that just gave your life to Jesus, somehow, some way, I got to get you back to this tent so you can meet some people. It won't take long, I promise. It's just a brief amount of time. We'll connect, get some information, We're not going to stalk you down. We're not going to creep you out. We just want to let you know we're proud of you. We're so proud of you. So I need everybody in the house of God to participate in this. This is going to magnify all of your social awkwardness, every bit of it. I need you to look at your neighbor on the left, look at your neighbor on the right. Everybody participate. And I want you to do this right now. Do me this favor. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say these words. If you gave your life to Jesus, just go ahead and say that to him. If you gave your life to Jesus, I'll walk with you. 
Now look at your other neighbor. Say the same thing. If you gave your life to Jesus, I'll walk with you. Now for the 17, 18 of you, hey, listen, I'm telling you, it's a big deal you gave your life to Jesus. In this place, this house, we want to celebrate your decision. So for the 17, 18 of you, here's what I need you to do. We're going to stay standing. We're going to lose our ever-loving minds. We're going to clap like crazy. And when you just start leaning to walk out, you're like, Ed, there's eight people on either side of me. That's why you got that Navy SEAL next to you. That's what I'm calling them because they're going to plow the way to get you to that tent so we can connect with you. So I'm going to pray. Music's going to play. We're going to hang out. We're going to clap. We're going to lose our ever-loving minds for you. And we're going to begin just to celebrate with the angels of heaven. And for the 17, 18 of you, you walk out. You won't walk alone. you got some friends that will walk with you, connect you to that tent. Don't go to your car. It won't take long. You just get there, and then Pastor Vance is going to tell us what to do next. So I'm going to pray. You're walking out. We're clapping like crazy. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For the 17, 18 of you, you start walking right now. You just walk back to that tent right now. You are not alone. You start walking. We're clapping. You're not alone. Yes, Lord. Come on, church. Let's take it to another level. Come on. You're not alone. To God be the glory. You're not alone. Welcome to the family of God. Yes, Lord. Somebody give God a shout of victory in this place, Lord. A voice of triumph in this place today, Lord. We say thank you. Glory. Eternity forever changed. Yes, Lord. 